morning and happy Tuesday to you. Welcome back to the men's basketball show here on 91.1 FM. You'll be listening to this episode on Wednesday, but we're happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us again. Cam Seibert, Joey Alberti, and Devin Dobick, the same crew from last week. Going to be breaking down some more UMass basketball for you as they get ready for their 2020-21 campaign. That starts in the end of November. Uh, of course, the Minutemen. Well, actually, what's going on, guys? How are we doing? I know the both of you are at home where you've been taking classes. How have things been going? How's the semester so far? Uh, really weird, but I guess I'm trying to do as much as I can with what I got so far. Yeah, trying to settle in. Uh, time is uh, time heals all, so I'm starting to get in a little groove here, and uh, it's good to be back. Excited to be back and ready for a good show, but unfortunately, our Celtics are out. Yeah, we'll get to the Celtics talk towards the end, but I mean, just on the topic of being taking classes from home, from someone who has a few in-person classes, I can tell you that you're not missing out on much. I mean, going to campus is like just such a like depressing feeling when you're just walking around and there's no one there and you're just like, well, what is life anymore? It just feels so weird, but hopefully in the spring, things will go back to somewhat normal. Uh, getting back to somewhat normal in terms of UMass athletics, of course, the football team looks like they're going to try to schedule some games in the fall. Basketball will get started at the end of November. Uh, that's what we're talking today. We'll, we'll jump right into things. Kind of wanted to start here by just evaluating last season. Of course, the Minutemen finish 14 and 17 overall, eight and 10 in conference play. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they lived up to their expectations pretty Almost evenly, I think maybe you could argue both ways that they overextended their expectations or that they underlived uh, their expectations. I guess we can get right into it and see what you guys think. Um, in terms of the A10, they finished eighth in the A10. I think I'm counting that right. One, two, three. Uh, but yeah, so they finished yep. eighth in the A10. A pretty good standing there. A lot of close games that they ended up losing in non-conference play. Uh, the only win they had that was a close game by two to three points was against Fairfield. Uh, and then in conference play, they were able to steal a few, beat Duquesne at home there, uh, a win against George Mason, of course. That was at the Mullen Center. That was a close game. Then they lose a couple close games to some of the better teams. Dayton, they only lose by eight. They end up beating St. Louis at Mullen. So kind of up and down season uh, across the board, but I'd love to get your guys' take. Just what did you think about last season? Did they live up to the expectations you had? Uh, and yeah, I guess we could start with you, Joe. Yeah, I would say they almost surpassed the expectations I had. I didn't really come in with that high of expectations, but I think the thing that we can take away most from their season last year was, um, how much better they did down the stretch compared to the beginning of the year. Obviously they got off to that five and zero start, but that wasn't really against heavy competition. And then they just, they started struggling through a little, a little stretch there in December leading into January and all that. But then later in the year, they, when uh, when Trey Mitchell really took that next level, they started to emerge as a team that was definitely one of the better teams in the A-10. I'm not going to say they were like a top three to top five team, but I think what they've proved, they proved last year is that they can be a better team for this year. And I think just with the recruiting coming in that they have, they can easily be up in that upper echelon of the A-10. Yeah, um, I definitely think they – lived up close to the expectations as Joey said 5 and 0 to start the season that's pretty good but I'd also like to point out they lost 8 games by 6 points or less so you think about it you take half those uh games and turn them into wins you know a few possessions uh go differently and you have a winning record and you move up a few spots in the conference so I think UMass just down the stretch a little more um they can you know just execute in crunch time and start to put a few uh, plays together, uh, and I think they could become a very good team this year in the A-10, especially with a lot of the core group returning. Right. I mean, you look at where this team was, not last season, but two seasons ago, they make a big step uh, last season. I don't even think if you were to ask Coach McCall, too, that he was ex or looking to win a bunch of games necessarily. I think it was more of a rebuilding year. You bring in this new class with a bunch of freshmen, uh, obviously headlined by Trey Mitchell. You're just hoping Trey can kind of come into his own and grow a little bit. Obviously did that, winning the A-10 Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think they're in a good spot moving into this year. This is the year uh, where the expectations need to be high. And after guys have had a year under their belt, you'd expect them to really come into their own. Of course, you're at full strength. You had a couple guys you are waiting for waivers last year. You had some injury problems. 
You didn't know who was what and what role everybody was going to play. Now you kind of have that under your belt. You know what to expect. Got to think this year they're trying to make big strides. And that's the thing that we talk about is is the culture shift uh, since McCall came in. Obviously, any coach tries to implement their own culture and, and the way they like to do things, the way they want their players to be acting off the court, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Coach McCall talked about that a lot last year and kind of this group and, and how well they've gelled together and how how focused they are on the next day, the next task, getting better. Uh, and you, you can see, you, you like you just said, Joey, you saw it last year where down towards the end of the season, they were closing out games a lot better. They went through that little stretch in conference play where Trey Mitchell said it after a game, no one's really vocal in the locker room. We're kind of just out of sorts at practice. Uh, then they come out and played really well. I think that's when they beat Duquesne. Uh, and then in that press conference, Trey's like, yeah, I started chirping people at practice. You know, I was doing a little trash talk, trying to get guys fired up and it kind of worked. So I, I think this team, yeah, Carl Pierre is a great leader. He's more of a the senior captain of this team this year, more of a lead by example kind of guy, uh, but definitely got more vocal last year. He even grew in, in his game, more of an ability to get to the rim. It seemed like he was scoring more on the baseline for mid range, not necessarily staying in his catch and shoot three point shooter role that maybe he was labeled in. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely saw growth last year. I think that was really the main goal for UMass. I don't think it was necessarily trying to win games or make it to the top of the A-10. But even still, uh, they were able to pull out some some impressive wins and some impressive losses. I mean, they lose to URI on the road there. Trey goes for his career-high 30 points, and they bring him back to the Mullen Center. Same thing, lose by a closer margin, and Trey goes for an even higher uh, point total, 34, I think. And it was just plain ballistic, shooting the, shooting the lights out of the ball. So... I, yeah, I think this year, moving into this year, is, is really when things are going to get interesting to see how much this team has improved through last year and in this offseason. But, you know, we're just we're breaking it down. It's Tuesday morning, a little early here. I apologize if it seems like we're half asleep. Devin, you just took a math test, which impresses <laughs> me. But I don't know if you guys had any take on the culture shift. Uh, Devin, I know you're a freshman this year. Joey, you were around the team a little bit last year. And we haven't been around the team this year to know if anything has really changed off the court really but i don't know if you wanted to sprinkle anything in there yeah all we can really do at this point is take mccall's word for it for what he said in that press conference to us cam and from what he said he you can all like i said this in the last show you can tell he thinks very highly of this team compared to last year's team and i honestly think the culture is just going to keep improving because mccall is going to keep being able to bring in these um recruiting classes of his and i think they've had two recruiting classes so far and they're still going to be in the upper echelon of the A-10, I think if you get four recruiting classes in here, it's just going to be a completely different team. That's just something that UMass hasn't seen in a little bit of time. Yeah, um, I think Joey said it perfectly. I don't think the culture is so much going to change, but it's going to improve because, as I said earlier, the core group's returning. They're going to have a lot of guys back, and the recruiting has been pretty solid. But you got to think of it that UMass, honestly, has nothing necessarily um, to lose. Uh, they can definitely... Uh, not live up to expectations, but they haven't been a dominant team in about five or six years. So they're just trying to improve any way they can. Um, and I think uh, they're on the right track to do that. Right. And I don't, again, we haven't seen uh, any play out on the court, but I feel looking objectively at this, the new team this year, you compare the guys who left to the pair to the guys that just joined the team. It seems like objectively that there might be a little more talent, definitely more size, uh, with Noah Fernandes, you're obviously getting some experience, and we're going to jump a little more into that conversation as well. There hasn't been much uh, groundbreaking news to come out from from the team since last week. Uh, obviously, last week, right before our episode, that was the big news that Noah Fernandes uh, has been cleared by the NCAA. He will be ready to go come the start of the season, obviously transferred over from Wichita State. Uh, the Shockers were a really good team uh, for a little while last year. So obviously he's coming from a premier program. You have to think Fernandes is gunning for that top spot. I guess we can jump right into that conversation. Um, 5'11", doesn't, doesn't surpass six foot, uh, doesn't necess necessarily wow you with his ability to score the ball. But when it comes to a true point guard, someone who can uh, command your offense and create plays for everyone else on the court, it seems like Noah Fernandes is a pretty good fit just based on what I've seen from, from watching some film. Uh, we can jump right into it, though. What are you guys thinking on Noah Fernandes? Kind of just this point guard race in general uh, and who you see maybe grabbing the keys to the offense come the start of the season. 
Um, so this might be somewhat of a of a hot take, but I do think depth wise, point guard is arguably UMass's best position going into this year and looking forward into the future. I I think that Javon Gar the combination of Javon Garcia and Noah Fernandes is just one that is pretty underrated right now, especially with uh, Javon Garcia. But <clears throat> on Noah Fernandes, I think McCall loves the fact that he's such a good floor general and he's kind of a, a do-it-all type of guy. It's not like he's just one-sided on the offensive side. He can defend a little bit. I think in uh, in EYBL, as a senior, he averaged like almost two steals a game. And he's just a, a really solid player. And then I think Javon brings the um, – the I don't want to say elite scoring, but like just really good scoring traits to um, the offensive side, and he's also a, a really good defender as well. He might not have the uh, the playmaking skills that Fernandes has, but I think he does have better scoring skills. So I think those two together is just going to make uh, for a a pretty scary duo to look forward in this future. Yeah, definitely have a little depth there with Garcia being paired with Fernandes, but. Um... I'd like to kind of touch on a little bit what I said last episode in that Fernandez is a playmaker. And when you got two lights out shooters, uh, especially when they're on in Carl Pierre and TJ Weeks, if you can get the ball to them and start hitting those big shots, that's going to be the difference maker and win you those close games uh, down the stretch. And that's going to make all the difference to improve your record in the conference and overall and maybe uh, make a run in a tournament of some sort. Yeah, right, and, and that was what we talked about uh, on past episodes as well, just the versatility that this team's going to have and all the different ways they can uh, put together lineups. Joey, kind of like you were just saying, yeah, you have a, a, a few different style guards that you can pick and choose from uh, when it comes to creating lineups and, and whatever you want to do. If you're Coach McCall, like you said, Garcia, uh, more of a, an attacking guard. He can score a little better probably than Noah Fernandes. Fernandes more of a, a shot creator for his teammates. You have Cairo McCrory, who's six five he's going to be a great defender we i heard him talking about his defending uh and that little meet the Minutemen uh thing that they're doing on twitter uh but it's something else too i mean and it, when it goes into chemistry and being a guard and knowing your teammates it's it's talked about all the time and it's kind of one of the storylines that surrounds this team you look up and down this roster and not it, last year there was plenty of it but they've only added to the woodstock academy affiliates now eight of the 12 players on this roster coming from woodstock that is uh, pretty interesting. We could probably get into that for a while, but I don't know what that does it for you guys. Does that change anything when it comes to uh, who might start and run the offense? Does, does that matter? Um, I think it matters in the sense of familiarity, not only with the players, but with the coaches. I, I definitely think that's something you can't just ignore. Uh, so I think Noah Fernandes, in my opinion, will have be the odds on favorite to be the starter going into the season. But I just think Javon Garcia is such an underrated player um, that he could really give uh, Noah Fernandes a run for his money in, in terms of the starting spot. I like that it's going to kind of create a little competition at that position. It's going to light a fire under both of those players, and they're going to be competing in practice to try and win over that starting spot. I mean, obviously, Fernandes is a clear-cut favorite uh, coming from Woodstock, as we've touched on numerous times. Um, but, you know, that competition could fuel both players to be better um, and improve the team overall down the stretch. So you have the point guard race. Uh, you have the, the power forward position, too, which is pretty interesting. We're going to talk about that right now. Again, though, I don't necessarily feel like it's it's starting for or fighting for a starting position and you're going to get all the minutes. I think I think we could all agree this is going to be a pretty well spread uh, pr- production from from. A majority of from a variety of players no one's going to get uh overwhelming minutes obviously you got trey mitchell who you'd expect to be on the court for a majority of each game and yeah you're going to have those players that are, are providing a lot of the scoring and and doing a lot but i think that there's going to be a pretty rotating lineup uh but we'll go right into power forward obviously debaji walker returns from last year we got a little taste of him uh towards the end of the season he was emphatic in games uh offensively scoring out of the triple threat mid-range was able to make some threes that was a little bit of a struggle for him i think but uh we'll see how he kind of comes into his own as he gets a full year under his under his belt this year doesn't have to wait for that waiver uh preston santos listed as a guard forward have to we could talk about that real quick too i I don't know if you guys had an opinion i feel like preston wasn't playing in his preferred role last year preferred position uh, being under the rim and trying to fight for rebounds, although he is capable of it, he's six six. He can jump. 
I still think he's a little more well-suited on the wing, uh, slashing, getting to the rim, and shooting threes. He's actually a pretty good three-point shooter, as we saw last year. Uh, then we have, obviously, De- DeAndre Dominguez joins the team this year. Gasparini, he's more of a center, but we've heard from Coach McCall there might be a possibility of him and Trey Mitchell being on the court at the same time. Probably would be Trey Mitchell as the forward in that in that situation. Ronnie DeGray, he also joins the team this year, and then I mentioned it to Baji Walker. So it's a pretty short list of uh, true forwards, really only three, maybe four, if you include Preston Santos. Uh, obviously, Trey Mitchell will be at the five, you'd think, to start. Any opinions off the bat of who might be out there with Trey Mitchell come the first game? I honestly, I, I have no clue. I feel like they could just go so many different ways in the sense of, um, I, I wouldn't say so many different ways. It's probably going to be either Dominguez or DeGray, but I just don't know if they're going to want to do more shooting or they're going to want to do more inside uh, scoring with DeGray. I feel like they can go either way. I compared them to Fire and Ice before in the last episode. I still stand by that. Um, and then also, I just want to touch up on the uh, the Preston Santos thing. I completely agree with you, Cam. McCall was talking about that himself with him and Debaji at that press conference saying they both played out of position when they were playing the four. I think Preston Santos could be a dangerous two guard just being able to defend the way he can. And if he still is able to put up those 40% marks from, from beyond the arc like he did last year, he, would, he could just be a scary guy coming off the bench for, for this team. Yeah, I got to agree with Joey a little bit. I think we're going to see Dominguez getting a lot of the minutes um, at the four position. But, you know, sometimes you want to run a little smaller. And I think Debaji Walker, I think he might be a bit – he might have a bit of an edge on the other guys coming back. And he's got big shoes to fills with the loss of Chapman and uh, Diallo. So he knows the team. He knows the offense. I think he could fit right in and maybe they could run a little small, have him play, um, and then definitely mix in the other guys uh, – It'll be definitely very competitive. So both those positions, point guard and power forward, are going to be very competitive. Well, it's a great point you make there, Devin, too, filling the shoes of Samba Diallo, a guy who was always willing to get under the rim to try to grab a rebound no matter what, no matter who was up uh, matching up with him, trying to box him out. Uh, I think the only question mark with or, or problem people had, I guess, with Diallo at times was maybe his, his shot selection. Uh, wasn't necessarily a great three-point shooter last year. But I think he, he he understood that, and he was he was focused on trying to get to the rim and score when it was when it was his time. Uh, but that's something UMass is going to need uh, to fill is that role. Yeah, just a, a grinding, rebounding forward who's willing to get under and, and try to tap out offensive rebounds. Diallo was just a great defender as well. He was all over the court. It felt like last year, a guy that any team needs, kind of just put his nose down and get the job done uh, type player. Obviously, losing him is, is a big blow. But again, too, you guys kind of touched on it as well. I feel like there's just such a capability to go big, to go small. We keep talking about it, obviously, the versatility. But it, you really do see it if you look up and down this depth chart. Some of the heights of, of guards, forwards, and the centers. Gasparini up there at 6'10". I think we're really going to see a lot of different things in terms of lineups this year. It's exciting uh, to be a, a fan of UMass basketball. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot they can do. It's going to be cool to watch. Uh, so that's the power forward race. It's going to be interesting to see that and the point guard race. We'll have to keep a close eye on that. Obviously, the next thing we got here, Trey Mitchell, is he the best player in the A-10? Uh, somebody just tagged on yes at the end. I don't know if that was me or one of you guys. <laughs> uh, what are we thinking? I mean, Trey Mitchell obviously wins the unanimous A-10 rookie of the year last year. Sensational season he had. Um, yeah, we can go right into it right off the bat. What do you think? Is he the best player in the A-10? I'll let you guys go first. Okay, so I think he did get snubbed of all A-10 first team last year. I, I don't I don't know who should have made it. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. But I do think he should have made it. At the same time, I don't want to say he is the solidified number one person player in the A-10. I still think players like uh, Jalen Crutcher, Jacob Gilliard, and Jordan Goodwin. I think it's those four that are kind of at the top at this very moment, but n- not one of them has really separated themselves yet. I guess Jalen Crutcher might have had the mo- more impressive um, season last year, either him or Jacob Gilliard, but he also had uh, the help of Obi Toppin. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does without a top five draft pick potentially. So I think right now it's a race between those four, and then this season will determine really who, who stands out among the rest, which I think all four of them have the potential to. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I might be a little biased um, about Trey Mitchell. Yes, he had a very good uh, freshman season. He played very well. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of talent coming back um, to the Atlantic 10. Obviously, the Dayton guy was drafted. I keep I keep forgetting his name. Um, but, you know, Trey Mitchell will be in the top five. But then you got uh, Kyle Lofton for the Bonnies, Jordan Goodwin uh, out of St. Louis. Um, and then Jalen Crutcher, as Joey uh, was touching on, very good player for Dayton. Um, I'm looking at some rankings here, and they got Trey Mitchell number one, um, which kind of makes me happy to see. But uh, coming off a of freshman year where he wasn't first team, uh, you got to think there's definitely going to be some competition, and I don't want to jinx him. So, uh, yeah, I'll just stick with that. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting conversation to have. You say you don't want to use the bias, Devin. I respect that. I, I'll I'll err on the other side of the coin. I, I mean, talk about expectations for a guy. Trey Mitchell, top 100 recruit by ESPN. He's got all this, uh, this, this hype surrounding him. He lives up to all of it, if you're asking me, last year by becoming the unanimous A-10 Rookie of the Year. I think you guys are right in a lot of ways. He definitely got snubbed from the uh, A-10 first team. But I mean, also too, like in terms of hype and, and expectations, he's going up against Obi Toppin, who's supposed to be the best player in the NCAA last year. Uh, he kind of makes a fool of him. There's a picture that came out after that game at the Mullen Center that I thought was great. It's like Trey Mitchell posting up Obi Toppin in the post. And you see the look on Obi's face like he's just seen a ghost. He's, he's about to get absolutely moved in the paint and then dunked on or something like that. And that's pretty much what was going on most of the game, shot fakes and stuff getting Toppin in the air and just outsmarting him. Uh, so, but yeah, so to me, I just think you look at NBA ready talent. I think Trey Mitchell is, is definitely working towards being NBA ready. I think, yeah, he gets a little bigger. He'll definitely be there. He's grown already since his time at UMass. You just look at his potential. It's it's through the roof. He can shoot the three. He can use his feet. Uh, he, can, he can score in so many different ways. He can pass out of the post. I think Coach McCall makes a good point. Need to see him. Uh, starting the break a little more this year. He led the team in blocks last year with 32. Uh, started to play much better defense down the stretch of the season. I don't know. I, I, I understand where you're going, too, with Jalen Crutcher and those guys. Crutcher, obviously, big-time clutch player for Dayton and was making big shots. He's going to be the leader of this team with top and gone. But this is also Trey Mitchell's team here at UMass. I, I think, without a doubt, he has been the, he was the leader last year, and he's, he's only going to come into that a little more this year. And yeah, again, I, I talk about the expectations and the hype. I think now, again, he's going to have to live up to it, and this is going to be a big year for him to see exactly how he handles it and how he comes off of a, a great freshman year because I think people are going to be expecting him to get better. Uh, but we'll wait and see exactly what happens. To me, I think he's, if not the number one player in the A-10, he's number two. But I'm going to go ahead and say Trey Mitchell is the best player in the A-10. And it, it, just in terms, too, of what you what do you see he, he does for his team in general. I mean, this team plays through Trey Mitchell and – I think he's uh, an NBA talent. It's going to be exciting to see how it unfolds. I just want to uh, uh, go ahead, jump in real quick, Cam. So I did say that I don't think he is the solidified number one player, but the people, the three that he's going up against primarily in, uh, in Jordan Goodwin, Jalen Crutcher, and Jacob Billiard, I I'm like eighty percent sure they're all going into their senior year and they're all guards and. Senior guards in college basketball just have a different type of success than um, other positions and other players just because they're that dominant ball um, ball handler and they always usually take the most shots and all that. But I do think Trey Mitchell has more potential than all of them, like very convincingly so. Because Trey Mitchell's only going into his sophomore year and he's a big man where he's still going to control the team, but I just – I don't know. I, I don't know if he's going to solidify himself as the best player this year, but I think he very well could, especially if he does what McCall said he's trying to do and start the break and become more of a playmaker and all that. Then I think we'll see a scary Trey Mitchell. But until then, I can't I can't say with confidence that he will be the best player in the A-10 this year. Right. This is going to be a big year for him to kind of prove again what, what he's made of. And after last year, I think expectations only rise. Uh, for him, but it'd be fun to watch. A couple more things maybe to, to touch on here with UMass basketball. Like I say, not a ton of news coming out of there, but we can obviously get into the hypothetical stuff like we have been, talk about uh, some lineups and, and stuff that we're looking forward to this year. Appreciate you joining us. Again, men's basketball show here on 91.1 FM. You can hear it every Wednesday at 11 o'clock. You can hear 
sports programming every weekday at 11 o'clock. All the different sports have their own respective shows, but this is the men's basketball show, so we'll keep things rolling along here. Going to skip over a couple of these points. Joe, I know there was some some thing maybe you wanted to touch on um, when it comes to the season coming up and scheduling non-conference games. UMass hasn't released a non-conference schedule yet uh, or a conference schedule. I think they've released the matchups for conference games, but I don't believe a schedule itself has been released unless I'm a fool. But you were hoping to maybe get into some of the protocols you were reading about, Joe, and, and kind of what, what might go into scheduling these non-conference games. It's going to be an interesting year, obviously, with coronavirus and how everything's so different. But uh, I'll, I guess I'll leave it open for you. What what? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so the first thing that I'm scared about, especially because UMass isn't a, a blue chip college basketball school in any sense, uh, is how much their budget will be cut. Because I don't, I don't know how much money they had in the budget in previous seasons, and I don't know how much money they're going to have this season. But it can very much affect the way – if it's a significant cut, it can very much affect the way that they schedule games. Because say you have a game that's supposed to be in Ohio or something, and that's like a, a 14-hour bus ride each way. That's just something you would usually take a plane ride to, but maybe you don't have the money this year because of the budget cut. So you have to take a bus ride, and then you're just – traveling for over a day at a time and then it's just a complete struggle um i was reading reading an article on espn by myron medcalf saying um like college coaches are asking different questions this year when when it comes to scheduling games they're asking like how how safe is it in that town that specific town that they'd be traveling to um would we have to stop in more than one airport if we travel to that place and stuff like that so i think that's that's another challenge for mccall and his staff that's going to be that could be really difficult depending on how much the budget does get cut. And also I, I was reading that if say, say Carl Pierre has coronavirus in uh, mid January, then that means for the, for likely the rest of January uh, our games would be postponed or canceled. And then each player would have to quarantine, I guess, and not be able to do more than just one-on-one workouts, which Obviously, for any team, is just a complete hassle and just not what you want to see at all. But I I know that the UMass team and a lot of other teams are making sure that they don't get coronavirus in any way. But especially when you travel to these these other places, you never know how how safe it could be. I'm not saying that McCall is going to put them in dangerous situations because I think that's the last thing he wants to do. But you just never know what's going to happen when you step on the court and in another location. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely going to – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Devin, yeah. Well, i just like to say that I think the aspect that's different from college basketball than the NBA is the NBA had the bubble. So they were pretty successful. Obviously, the players didn't get to see their families, and it was a little more difficult for them. But when you take that bubble away, it's going to be interesting to see how the players are able – I mean, the MLB is doing it pretty successfully. Um, I believe there's been a few cases. Yeah, there's definitely been cases around the league. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how college basketball works out. There's a lot of college basketball teams, and when all of them are going all over the place, and as Joey said, uh, they're going to be really uh, – I can tell you, uh, being a high school athlete, a long bus ride, even two or three hours to a game, is awful. You feel so tired when you get there. So 14 hours on a bus, I can't imagine what that's going to be like for them, <clears throat> and it will definitely affect how they play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of logistics go into, like you guys are saying, scheduling games and playing games during a pandemic. Uh, it's definitely not going to be easy. I, I think everyone's excited about a season, but I think we sometimes do overlook the fact that it's going to be difficult and just one little hiccup could kind of ruin everything. Uh, but you got to have your fingers crossed and hope that, I mean, I don't know, as as the weather gets colder too, they say that maybe flu season, it couldn't, could only make things a little worse, but you got to just keep your fingers crossed and hope that everything can go as planned and that they can, we can see a few games at least uh, get played here in uh, 2020. It's going to be exciting to see. We're getting right up to 30 minutes here. Apologies that the energy might be a little low. I'm still waking up. I got to just wake up, slap myself in the face. I should get some coffee, get things going here, but I appreciate you guys joining me here for the men's basketball show. Hope everyone listening is enjoying themselves as well. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to be right back after this. We're going to talk NBA playoffs, which have been so, so fun for us Celtics fans. Uh, They, of course, getting knocked out of of contention here. And we have the finals 
the Miami Heat and the Lakers all set and ready to go. That's going to happen actually the night of when you're listening to this, but we'll be right back. Quick break here on 91.1 FM. Appreciate you tuning in. Catch you on the other side. Well, good morning still, everybody, and welcome back to the Men's Basketball Show here on 91.1 FM. Thanks again for tuning in. We broke down a little more UMass basketball for you there in the first half, Uh, but now we're going to jump into some NBA playoff talk, which might be a little glum for us as I think we're all Celtics fans. Yep, we definitely are, and boy, it was tough to watch them play the Heat in this series. It just felt like from the jump that they were not their normal selves. Uh, obviously, couldn't close out uh, anything in the final five minutes of those games. Boy, and in that game six, just chucking up threes. It was really tough to watch. Uh, they died by firing squad. It felt like uh, just in the Heat series alone. I, I'll, I'll leave it open to you guys. I know you guys have a lot of takes and a lot you want to get off your chest. Uh, Devin, why don't you go first? Because I know you were pretty upset. You texted me during the end of the game and we're just like, what am I watching right now? This is garbage. And yeah, so go ahead and get some stuff off your chest, man. Um, He's like, where do geez. I want to start? <laughs> yeah, honestly, where do I begin? Uh, oh, that was embarrassing. I, oh, it was, I'm a very emotional Celtics fan and that was... I was I was watching the game out my deck. I brought my TV outside, and oh, it was. I'm pretty sure the neighbors down the street could hear me. It was just, you know, when you're up six points, when they were up, when the Celtics were up six points with like five or so, eh, maybe a little more than five minutes left, going in that commercial, that just took the wind right out of their sails in Game Six. They, I think Miami closed out the game on like, ooh, what was the run? It was like almost 30 points to 15. So they pretty much doubled our scoring, but selfish basketball was what it came down to. The Celtics played selfish basketball. Everybody, I'm pretty sure I heard something. Uh, and it was, it was literally spot on. It's one player comes down the court. Ooh, look what I can do. Okay. Another player comes down the court. Ooh, look what I can do. And they just Gordon Hayward looked horrible. I'm sorry, Gordon, but he was missing layups he was missing uh, open three-pointer. It was just like, oh, my gosh. I understand he's coming off the in- the injury and might not be 100%, but he just looked terrible. And Jason Tatum, uh, he's just been there 50% of the time for the, the Celtics. He, you know, he'll have a great second half. He played all right in the first half. He had a lot of assists. I think he had eight-plus assists in the first half of game six. But he was just uh, – I hate that off one foot turnaround he takes mid-range because he only gets about a quarter of them and he lo- and that's his favorite shot to take so I was just I hated the selfish basketball it was very frustrating uh dumb turnovers and in the end it ended up shooting them in the foot um and I'll let somebody else uh jump in now because I I'll probably have some more to say in a bit <laughs> um the main thing I want to add is in terms of superstardom Everyone at the end of the year before COVID hit was saying that Tatum, even myself, was saying that Tatum was starting to solidify himself as a superstar. I think what we learned from this playoffs and this series, I guess, is that he definitely has the potential and he will be there someday, but he is not there at this current moment. And I think what hurt the Celtics is that they didn't have one great player in this series, they had players that played great at times, but they did not have one great player. They had a bunch of good players. And in defense of uh, Gordon Hayward, as Devin was saying, there was no way he was 100% healthy. He definitely mm-hmm. rushed that back. And I, I think that's part of the reason why he didn't play as well as people wished he would. And I I think he, he probably was overplayed because he definitely was not much of an impact in comparison to what other players could have been providing on the floor. But also at the same time, you got to give credit where credit's due to the Miami Heat, uh, especially in that game six, Bam Adebayo 
just completely destroyed the Celtics in every Mm -hmm. aspect of the game. And if we keep seeing a Bam like that, then, I mean, there's no reason to not consider Bam a a top 15 player. I think he's someone similar to Tatum that has that potential. I don't think he has the potential um, to be a top five player like Tatum has, but I do think Bam could very well one day be a top 10 player. Just the way he's so versatile and so good at defense and playmaking. And if he can really just get that, become a scoring threat on offense, a consistent scoring threat, then he would be someone that you really have to watch out for. But the that Heat team just played like such a good team in comparison mm-hmm. with, to what the Celtics did. They're like eight deep, almost nine deep. And they just played, they just outplayed the Celtics for when it mattered. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like there was uh, a lot of, stuff was exposed uh for the celtics there in these past couple series because they didn't play well against the raptors either uh, down a lot uh, down the stretch a lot of those games they couldn't close out games uh in these last couple series but i think shocking like yeah <laughs> but like what you're saying with bam at too i think they were exposed the fact that they don't have a solid center a guy who can play defense uh obviously tice was was good at times this playoffs and He's great with spacing the floor and everything like that. But when it comes to defending a guy like Bam Adebayo, the Celtics were just at a loss. They didn't have anybody who could do it. I know a lot of people wanted to see Grant Williams get more of a chance. Maybe that would have worked out. Uh, Brad Stevens is the coach, though. So he whatever he sees is what he's going to go with. And, yeah, it just didn't work. Bam Adebayo had his way pretty much every game of the series. It felt like obviously he had that big block early on that oh. saved that one win. That was that's yeah. I mean, that who knows what happens if, if Tatum gets that dunk off and the Celtics win that game, how different the series is. But the other thing too, I feel like the Celtics are getting cut slack. Like, Oh, they'll be back next year. And like, what a great run. I just feel like at this point, there's been enough time for Jason Tatum to grow up and for Jalen Brown to grow up and for them to come to their own. And now they're leaders of this team. Like this is your moment. You don't, there's no next year. Sure. But it should be this year. There was no reason that they couldn't beat the Heat this year uh, and move on and play in the finals to go take a loss to the Lakers probably, which is what I'm expecting to happen for the Heat. But it's still, it's like, I don't understand why we cut them slack and say, oh, they'll be back next year and all this, when it seems like this year they had they had the juice, they had everything they needed. They easily could have got the job done. They just choked when it came I'll time tell to you, do it. I don't know what you guys think. Any slack. No slack given by me. Nope, no slack. But... Again, Joey uh, made a good point. You got to give credit where credit's due. Bam Adebayo had one hell of a game uh, in Game Six. Um, it was just spectacular to see that. Um, I mean, you know, it's kind of I'm at a loss for words. Uh, Tyler Hero out of nowhere uh, in Game Four, I believe. Uh, I that was just nuts. Lights out shooting. The Heat were the better team overall because they were able to close out games. Uh, it pains me to say that, but unfortunately, it's a sad truth. Um, so, yeah. Right. You mentioned Tyler. Is Tyler Hero going to do that against LeBron, you think? No. Will LeBron let that no happen? Way. No. Absolutely not. That's but my, that's when you got, point. you got Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, who are also really good defenders, and, you know, he was doing it to them. So, I mean, maybe not a top two player of all time, but still, I mean, he was, he was doing it um, against someone who made the defensive first team and someone who's definitely in the conversation for that team. Right. And you, and you're right. Credit where it's due. Harrow was playing hero was playing great. He was making guys. Yeah. He's being real shifty and changing, changing pace, whatever. He's making it hard to defend, but I, I don't know. I just feel like LeBron just out for blood this year is not gonna allow Tyler hero to score more than 30 points in a game come the NBA finals. Uh, Joey, did you have a couple, anything else you wanted to add on the Celtics and your disappointment? Um, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not even surprised to be completely honest. I, I had no expectation that they would make the Eastern conference finals before the playoffs, during the playoffs. And obviously that didn't come to fruition. I didn't think it was going to be the heat. That's for sure. I honestly thought it was going to be the box or the Raptors, but the heat have just shown that they're in, in the time in, a time where times are weird, they showed to be the most resilient and just the best team and just willing to do what it takes, I guess, to to be successful. And to see what they did against that Bucks team that was supposed to be the best team in the NBA was just kind of crazy to me. But at the same time, uh, if they, if LeBron, I should say, plays like he did 
in that game five, if he plays anything like he did in that game five in the series at all, then the Heat will win, will no go no longer than five games against those Lakers. Right. And, just, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Devin. Did you... I just – there's no way Los Angeles loses this – they don't even lose more than one game, I don't think. I mean, I think the Heat will still won. Somebody will be off, but – I mean, it just it's just one of those nice things. Um, you know, unfortunately, Kobe passed away, and I think this, as much as it is hard to say that the Lakers are going to tie the Celtics for most championships, um, I think they definitely, I think it would be cool just based on everything that's happened uh, with Kobe Bryant, you know, such a big part of their organization. If they could win this year, I feel like that would just cap off something that would be truly memorable, uh, just kind of like the Red Sox and the Boston bombing and uh, – 2013 it was just kind of one of those things where you're like wow that's you know it feels really good for that team to win um and the yanks made a world series run after 9-11 just one of those cool things and i think uh it would be cool for that for the lakers oh absolutely and i think you can see it uh that they are not slowing down any bit they want this pretty badly and when lebron wants something he's not going to stop until he gets it uh again I can't wait for the finals and because I am a LeBron fan. I think there's no chance they lose this one. Again, though, this is the UMass Basketball Show here on 91.1 FM. Cam Seibert, Joey Alberti, and Devin Dobek bringing you the NBA playoffs talk. Spoke about some UMass basketball at the start. Now we're getting into the NBA playoffs, and we just talked about it. The Celtics obviously losing in six games to the Miami Heat, which means the Heat and the Lakers will play in the finals. We'll get into this talk a little bit now. Uh, do you guys disagree with me? Is there any chance the Heat win this game? I, I see it as a gentleman's sweep. Uh, Lakers take it in five. We could share our quick takes on that. And then I know, Devin, we might have a different opinion on uh, something I want to bring up after that. But what do you guys think? Who's going to take this one home? Um, so I just want to start by saying, I think the thing that we've done before every single series the Heat have been in this year, other than the Pacers, we we've said, oh, they're just gonna they're gonna get smacked. They're gonna get smacked around, and it won't be a competition. People were saying that before the Bucks. People were saying that before the Celtics, and people are saying it now. So I'm not saying they're gonna win because I don't think they'll win, but I do think they have a good chance of making it a lot closer than people will think it'll be. Okay, Devin, I just I I, I really as Cam said, gentlemen, sweep five games. There's not much more to be said there. The Lakers are just absolutely dominant. You know, they got the basketball gods on their side. They got everything going for them. The best player in the game right now um, and a great counterpart with Anthony Davis, who probably is overlooked in LeBron's shadow at least a little bit. Um, Still one of the top ten players in basketball. Um, And then they just have that depth. Um, Even Rajon Rondo coming out and doing it for them still. The Lakers, I don't see – I think they'll have one off night where they're not hitting their shots and Miami will capitalize, but – other than that, I, I think it's going to be pretty routine as they have been all postseason. Right. I mean, I just don't see how the Heat are going to match up with the Lakers. It just they just does, doesn't seem like it's going to work for them. Uh, like you said, obviously Anthony Davis being overshadowed by LeBron. Davis is trying to prove something as well. LeBron obviously trying to get that next ring and, and trying to solidify himself as the goat. We'll get into that talk soon. But Anthony Davis hitting that big shot uh, to send the Lakers to the finals. He is trying to solidify himself as more than just a great player in this league, but an elite player, an all-time player. Uh, He needs rings to do that. Maybe it gets uh, suppressed a little bit because he's doing it riding on LeBron's back, if you think think that, if you're one of those people. But still, he needs rings uh, for his own career and his own resume, so he's playing for something. You mentioned it, Rondo back, Dwight Howard. You look up and down this Lakers roster, these are experienced guys, Danny Green, J.R. Smith, Rondo. These guys have all been in the finals before. They've all played in important games. Like Tyler Hero is a little kid. It seems like I honestly <laughs> look like Tyler Hero. Like you, like I. It's like me being out there. He's like so young and and yet young looking. I just I don't. He's see like how twenty they match years old with this group of old men when they're just a bunch of little kids. But again, and I don't think I've done this enough credit where credit is due. They've played great uh, throughout this this playoffs, and you have to think that, that they'll have a chance. I guess with the momentum they've built up, but. I don't know. It just feels like when LeBron wants to win the finals and, and he's got a team and they're the favorite, good luck. <laughs> but yeah. then you might point me at like that Mavericks that Mavericks series uh, back in the 2010s. Where yeah, he that lost, shouldn't but... happen. So 
the question I want to bring up now, did you have something new wanted to throw in? I would, yeah, I just wanted wanted to say when LeBron has someone as good as Anthony Davis by his side, it's going to be very difficult to beat that team. But I think what the Heat have going for them is even though the Lakers have the top two players in uh, in this series, I think the Heat have the be- the top three through like six to eight players, and maybe not eight, but they have. I think their next best, their next five are better than any other player that the the Lakers have. In Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, even Goran Dragic. If Goran Dragic was on that Lakers team, that would be a yeah, huge. What the hell? So he I, is, he's so old and still doing it. I honestly think, just because of how deep this Heat team is, is the reason that it could potentially go longer than people expected. Right, and I know I just made the point that like the Heat is a bunch of young guys, and I get it that they're not. They have Jimmy Butler. They have. Uh, Adebayo is not necessarily experienced or old, but he's he's definitely becoming a veteran in the league. He can match up with some of the vet, other veterans that the Lakers have. But I feel like it's these role players like Hero, like Robinson, who have kind of been like maybe a Jay Crowder, who obviously didn't play very well against the Celtics. But those guys have been pushing the Heat uh, and being and, and playing in their roles and doing a j- good job of being role players. I don't think they're going to have that same success against the Lakers. I just think they're going to get shut down. They're going to, I guess you could say, crumble under the pressure. Uh, and, and it just seems like there's no chance the Lakers lose. But, Devin, did you did you want to jump in? I got nothing much more. I mean, Jay Crowder, he was probably I, – I think I made the joke about it before, but I think he was the best player on the Celtics in the Heat series because he just was – he was horrible. He missed he was, every yeah. shot he pulled up. He was turning the ball over, committing fouls left and right. Um, he did not look good. And I'm surprised Miami's giving him the minutes they're giving him. They are still playing him as if he's been playing, you know, putting up decent numbers all series. Like, so I'm really surprised. But yeah, um, just kind of adding, Miami's just pulled like, I can think of three guys that you just wouldn't really expect to really fill the shoes they have. And uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and uh, oh my God, uh, Kendrick, I'll, it'll come back to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how about? Or Goran Dragic too. He's been in the league for a while now. He's getting he's got gray hair and he's hitting these huge shots. Um, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and Tyler Hero even pulling up just off screens, making it look like he, you know, making him look like Kyrie Irving out there, like just hitting huge shots, you know. And then uh, the third guy, uh, Duncan Robinson, he looks like a splash brother. So like they're just pulling these guys out of absolutely nowhere that have either when you look at. Dragic's had experience or are new to the league and they're producing and putting up veteran uh, and consistent numbers. So I think that's just very surprising. And yeah, Joey definitely eye-opened me. I think it could be a bit longer of a series if those guys are hot. Yeah. And they say Eric Spolstro, that's, that's kind of his bread and butter is taking a guy and taking their strengths and magnifying them. It's pretty obvious. He's done that with the heat. It's worked. Uh, it's, worked pretty well for him bam at a bio he gets under the rim he stays under the rim and kind of does his thing under there like you said duncan robinson doesn't really take layups just shoots a lot of threes hero kind of creates his own shots off screens they all play into the into their own strengths which i guess as a coach is kind of your job so the the thing i want to move on to here probably the last topic we'll get to on the show so lebron is going back to the finals and it seems like (laughs) every year now whenever he makes it to this point uh, the topic has to come back up. The GOAT topic. Uh, if LeBron wins this finals, would be his fourth ring. Does that, in your guys' opinion, solidify him as the greatest player of all time? Well, I'm also a little biased. You might want to go to Joey for this. I'm, I'm not a LeBron guy. I don't like... The way he plays the game, the way he is, I think he's just a little too flamboyant, for loss of a better word. He's just, it's all he's always whining about something, or and and that really aggravates me. Jordan, the other thing with Jordan, he was a better scorer um, and a better defender. Uh, eh, I wouldn't say better defender. No, that that could be a topic of conversation. Mm. Um, but LeBron uh, at the forward, uh, better with passing and uh, rebounding. Um, they both had talent surrounding them. Jordan's uh, might be a little cons- more consistent. LeBron's kind of been around a little more. 
Um, but there was also a different brand of basketball when Jordan was in the game. It was a lot more physical, um, a lot more uh, emotion or physically tolling. Um, so for that reason, uh, just the arrow that he played in, the huge shots he hit in the clutch, and not to say LeBron hasn't, but Jordan hit some uh, enormous shots. I, I just, I mean, this is a debate we could have for a long time. Um, but just to kind of, in a nutshell, I, I'm sticking with Jordan. So I think the different brands of basketball in comparison to the late 2000s and then 2010s where LeBron's really played, and then the late 80s into the 90s where Jordan played, just because of how different those two are, I, I just think it's impossible to compare the two and solidify one as the best player of all time. Um, they've both, I, I think it's too close. I just, I don't, I think it's too close for either one to really say I'm the best. Obviously Jordan can argue with the rings that he, um, what's it called that he's the best, but then you can, LeBron can come back and be like, Oh, well I didn't have Scotty Pippen and Dennis Rodman or whatever. Mm-hmm. I also, you also didn't have to face the golden state warriors. So it, it'll just go. It's an argument that'll go back and forth forever and ever. I just don't think there's ever going to be a solidified answer. Unless LeBron wins like four more titles, <laughs> no. See, to me, he doesn't even have to win uh, this this title to be the greatest of all time. Because honestly, the stat I look at isn't even necessarily him winning the finals. And I know this might not sound like the greatest argument, but it's just the fact that he's now going to his tenth, uh, ten of eleven straight finals. It, it's like, how can you even think about playing a season that long? not coming off the court for entire games. Like guys are in Cancun right now, uh, enjoying themselves and enjoying an off season, whatever. Every single year, LeBron is playing to the finals. His season is so much more extended. He's putting so much more of a toll on his body. And has LeBron ever been injured for an extended period of time? He hasn't. He's so durable. I just feel like that alone is like one of his most impressive feats. And then, Obviously, you get into his his play out on the floor. Devin, you kind of mentioned it, the defending thing. I think LeBron can defend all five positions. Mm-hmm. His ability as a shot blocker. Sure, Jordan was a great on-ball defender, but I don't know. I think you could easily say that they're both pretty on par with each other. I don't know that mm-hmm. Jordan's necessarily better than the other. You can make the argument. Uh, and then you were saying, I definitely agree with the scoring. I, I think LeBron can still score at will. I mean, he can take it to the rim. He can back you down. He can shoot threes occasionally. <laughs> But what he's done as a passer, too, and how he's evolved throughout his career has been so impressive, too, as he started to get more attention from defenses. He's figured out a way to get his teammates more involved. His assist numbers are way up. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely a different league. And I think there's an argument that's always had uh, as to which one was more competitive. And I don't know. How do you how do you think LeBron would have handled the, the Jordan rules? I think he's 6'9", 240, and probably would have done just fine getting hacked by a lot of those guys. Sure, he's a little uh, fritzy and a little soft, but I still think Baby. in terms of his body type, he would have probably been just fine. Yeah, I want to just really <laughs> quickly point out these stereotype things that either old guys will say in defense of Jordan or young guys will say in defense of LeBron. So old guys are – because this just annoys the crap out of me. When old guys like my dad – We'll just be like, oh, LeBron would be oh, no, I hope your dad's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> LeBron would, would be able to take a hit from those Pistons and Bill Lambeer. I mean, LeBron would have been physically the most scary, scariest player back in the 80s and the 90s. So he would have been able to just bulldoze through anyone he wanted to. So that wouldn't have mattered. And also at the same time, people I like with Jordan, I guess the the real thing is that he he wouldn't be able to do as much as LeBron could, I think he would probably be able to do just as much and more than what he was able to do, especially with the way the defensive rules have eased up um, lately. I just think both of them play. So there's, there's a few players that would dominate in any era. Um, Obviously disregarding like the 60s, where it was all about like six foot one non athletes playing. But other than that, like there's specific players that would dominate in er- any era, regardless, and those two are at the top of the list. So I just, I, I just, that's why I think it's so difficult to debate between the two. 
Yeah, and I, I think it goes back to your whatever your definition of is uh, of great is greatest of all time. Like, what does that mean to you? I think for a lot of people, it's winning games, and I understand that. And Jordan won six for six, and he's clutch, and yeah, he's a winner. But to me, it's almost like how if LeBron is on your team in the NBA, you're almost a surefire finals team. Like you're going to make the finals. You get a couple weapons around him and you're going to be there. And even early in his career, you didn't need weapons around him. You needed Booby Gibson and Zidrana Silgowskis and you're still going to make it there. So to me, that's what it is. It's the longevity of it. And it's, it's how, how he's been doing it year in and year out, having such an extended season compared to other guys. He doesn't take off seasons, uh, all the toll he's put on his body, but yet still hasn't been injured that whole thing, just the amount of finals he's been to almost like how Brady's been to the most uh, Super Bowls. Of course. Yeah. He's won them as well. Maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit with my argument. Cause LeBron hasn't been winning a lot of the finals that he's been to. <laughs> Still, he won probably the greatest championship and maybe sports history coming back down three, one against the warriors. I don't know. And, and, and you're right, Joey, it definitely is biased. It's, it's old people getting stuck in their ways. They don't want to say that LeBron is the new, the goat because they watch Jordan and, it's it's it, I can only say the same for me is I never saw Jordan play in, in person or on TV. So I, it's it's hard for me to say I didn't grow up watching him play. I grew up watching LeBron. So obviously there's some bias there. But I think you look at just his ability on the floor to defend all all positions, his ability to pass. He, he can still score uh, team leader. I don't know. I, I think I'd take LeBron over Jordan on my team. <sighs> but. I know everybody has their own opinions and I'm sure there's people <laughs> listening that are cringing just like you did Devin in their car or wherever. Like this, I, who is this kid? I want to find him and give him a piece of my mind. I just, I think the longevity argument argument, I can see what you like. It's just unprecedented how LeBron's been to that many finals. But with Jordan, I think the era of basketball is more physically tolling. Like he took a lot more shots than LeBron did. You watch the last dance that there was some, I mean, as Joey said, the Pistons used to just take people out. Like it was the refs let a lot more things fly back then. And it was more physically torn. And you also have to take into account that Jordan decided he was going to go and play baseball for whatever reason. Um, and that could have put a stunt uh, and took in a couple ways, Ugh, taken a couple years away from his career. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of what ifs with Jordan, if he stayed in the league and uh, if he kept going, but LeBron, yeah, I just, I, he just he's too soft for me. He's just always complaining about something. And that's what aggravates me. Yeah, I could definitely see the physical tolling that, that argument. Um, but to me, he's been probably the most durable player in the league since he joined. Uh, hasn't really been injured for a long time. But like you said, he doesn't get attacked the same way that Jordan was and all that. So it, it can go both ways. It's definitely an interesting argument. I think we'll have to have here, a show we, for that. Yeah, a whole. Yeah, you're right. Another we need a whole other hour for that. <laughs> uh, I think if, if he wins it, the finals here, that can definitely obviously helps. Um, mm -hmm. it's just I'll give you that. I think that coming. would definitely help. Yeah. I mean, going to 11 sh or 10 straight or 10 of 11, that's just ridiculous. And that definitely – there's a definitely a conversation to be had. Joe, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I, I stand by what I had to say. Obviously, three is better than four in terms of titles for LeBron. Um but I, I think he has the potential to win, I'd say, up to three to four more, honestly. Oh, Especially wow. if if this Lakers team stays with him and Davis and then they surround it with just good – like picking up Dwight out of nowhere just has been a huge find for them. He, just, he really put Jokic in a place that he hadn't been put in this entire playoff. So if they can just keep finding guys like that while keeping – those that main two core it's just gonna be it's gonna be tough to stop um it's gonna be tough for anyone to stop that team unless another there, team forms is there vegas odds on lebron winning three or four more titles because i will <laughs> i think i'll take i think i'll take the uh under there i just <laughs> he's he's starting to get old i mean yes they have a super team right now and i'm sure it'll only improve in the off season but i just i don't know i think lebron i think he'll get two more i think he'll get this one and and maybe one more uh, i don't know if they'll go back to back um, cuz i think the clippers are going to be a tough team and and the west is so difficult you know we got to take into account the rockets um, and the clippers as i said even the nuggets if they get one more star they're going to so those four teams they're all one of them's going to knock out la in the next two or three years 
in the postseason. So I think I'm going to give them two more titles with LeBron, um, but no more. And then and then if he gets those two, then we can have uh, a very even conversation about the greatest of all time. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think he's uh, got he's playing for blood right now. I don't know who's going to get in his way. We'll see how the Heat fare when it comes to, uh, time to play. I think tomorrow night is when the game is. The time you're listening to it, it'll be tonight. So we're rounding out to the end of the show. want to thank you guys again for joining me here and doing some talk. It's been a lot of fun. Joey Delberti and Devin Dobick. Uh, we're going to catch you next week, same time, Wednesday at 11, with more UMass basketball talk. Appreciate you guys joining us again uh, and tuning in, but we'll catch you on the next one. This has been the UMass basketball show here on 91.1 FM. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.